Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be always acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. This parable is dangerous. <laughs> we encountered it first in Sunday school, and so for many of us, we think we know what it says. Maybe we were shown seeds to plant in a garden. We were asked if we knew how plants grow. And we were given an easy moral to go with the story. Don't let the briars grow. Don't let the birds steal the seed. Be fruitful. We are helped in this interpretation by the fact that this is one of the few passages in the New Testament in which Christ gives us a cheat sheet, explaining the meaning of the parable to his disciples. So far, so good, we think. We've got this one. Or do we? I would suggest that like most of Christ's parables, this little ordinary story is a lot weirder, a lot more unexpected than we might initially suppose. Like many of the parables, it is trying to teach us the new rules of the kingdom of, that Christ is bringing into the world and how the new creation inaugurated by Christ doesn't work according to the ordinary rules that we think we know. And although the kingdom is rooted like the parables in the ordinary and the everyday, who but God can know how far the roots and branches of this new kingdom will extend? The parable of the sower comes really early in the Gospel of Mark, when Jesus is still fizzing like a firecracker after bursting in on John's message at the Jordan. The running theme thus far is a new call, a new message, a new repentance, a new Sabbath, and a new kingdom that rewrites all the old realities. As our reading begins, Jesus has just finished saying that his real family are not his mother and brothers waiting outside to claim him, but the ones who hear the word of God and obey it. You can almost hear the shocked intake of breath from the room at large. And then the parable itself, with this explanation that doesn't entirely explain. The sower goes out to sow his seed. So far, so good. But he seems to be sowing it everywhere, including all sorts of places where he must know that the seed won't grow. Who sows their precious seed in a thorn bush all over the rocks? Isn't he afraid of wasting it? Apparently not, because he expects a prodigious harvest. B before the development of modern fertilizers and modern irrigation, grain yields were, to us anyway, shockingly low, sometimes even less than two to one meaning that you would be setting aside to plant next year more than you would have for yourself and your family to live on. That is what Christ's listeners were expecting. And ironically, one of the greatest advances in modern wheat cultivation before genetics occurred when people stopped broadcast sowing, which is what Jesus is talking about in the parable, and started using mechanical seed drills instead. So what is he saying? talking about yields of 30, 60, 100. That goes beyond freak accident to the realms of the biologically impossible, at least for your average grain of wheat. What sort of a seed is this? What sort of fertile soil? This is, of course, a pattern of parable that Christ uses a lot in talking about the kingdom. The mustard seed transformed into a great tree, 
the invested talents reaping a huge reward, the treasure hidden in a field, the wedding banquet that pulls in the people on the street, and yes, the hungry filled with good things and the rich sent empty away. The kingdom is understood through hyperbole. The sower is not afraid of waste and does not judge the ground on which he casts his word. He is, in fact, fabulously, prodigally generous, and in the eyes of the world, foolishly so, but not according to the rules of the kingdom and the economy of God. Where he gives the growth, fruit will grow, amazingly, fabulously, beyond imagination, and also beyond our immediate ability to predict or control. This parable has a long history in the Pentecostal tradition in which I grew up, in which people are enjoined to be a part of God's economy and to therefore part with their life savings to support the continued preaching of the word of God. I think this is a dangerously narrow reading, which equates us, the reader or listener, with fertile ground. We've heard the message, we think, and we congratulate ourselves on how well we've listened. And we wait to reap our promised reward. More dangerously, it can lead us into thinking that we, or our chosen priest or minister, is the sower. Either way, we can't help ourselves. We turn the parable into simplistic prosperity gospel. But it is more honest to assume that we are, all of us, a jumbled patchwork of rocks and thorns and birds and shallow soil, and every now and again, a patch of really good soil that God will make bear fruit in his own good time. For now, as Christ told his mother and the crowd, we are to listen to the call of the kingdom and to try to obey. We'll figure out where the rocks and thorns are soon enough if we're sincere, and if we don't, then Jesus will. We may also restrict our understanding of the seed, the word of God, to something that we can cope with as if hearing, receiving, and bearing fruit for the kingdom were only a matter of assenting to the correct string of theological propositions, or even, paradoxically, having the correct sort of spontaneous, born-again spiritual experience. What if the word of God we were supposed to be listening for, obeying, following, was instead the constant everyday reign of our neighbors' words and actions on our minds and hearts, as well as, you know, the sacraments? with gentle, constant, everyday opportunities for growth, listening, and obedience. Thomas Merton in Seeds of Contemplation argues for precisely this. I quote, But every expression of the will of God is in some sense a word of God and therefore a seed of new life. The ever-changing reality in the midst of which we live should awaken us to the possibility of an uninterrupted dialogue with God. By this, I do not mean continuous talk, but a dialogue of love and of choice, a dialogue of deep wills. If you are someone like me who frets a good deal, not very productively, about whether or not she is doing the will of God, or whether ingrained habits or anxieties have somehow choked out any possibility of bearing fruit in good soil, then I think the parable of the sower offers us both challenge and encouragement. Challenge to live as fully in the present as possible, aware of the birds of distraction and the thorns of anxiety. Encouragement, because the sower is sowing even now, on this day and in this moment. 
But I should also resist the temptation to think that I act as the sower in my life and in the lives of those around me. I am not the sower. Jesus is. If anything, I am the seed. And because the sowing of God's word, God's fruitfulness, the coming of God's kingdom is in the hands of the one true sower, then I can give myself in love and trust to him. If it seems like nothing much is happening to this mustard seed of faith right now, we have to remember that the kingdom is not operating on a human or even a geologic timescale. It is one of the reasons those parables show the kingdom sitting slightly at an angle with the rhythms of everyday life. Who knows what we will become? A society of potential gods and goddesses, as Lewis would say, for whom the pain and the horror that we experience in our everyday lives will be translated, transmuted into something unimaginable. The sower promises a 30, 60, 100-fold harvest. That is not an interest rate, but a way of saying that we, souls and bodies, will be changed to reflect Christ's own resurrection, sitting spikily, weirdly, at odds with the laws of nature, and yet completely at home within it. Walter Raleigh understood this when he wrote a prayer of hope and thanksgiving in the tower on the night before his execution in 1618. In such as time, that takes and trust our youth, our joys, are all we have, and pays us but with earth and dust, who in the dark and silent grave, when we have wandered all our ways, shuts up the story of our days. But from this earth, this grave, this dust, my God shall raise me up, I trust. <laughs>